0: Well, it's, uh, it's good to see you today, especially if you're a guest. We're glad you're here. I hope you always feel welcome. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor. I understand that anything that we have going on in the life of our church that you think pertains to you, you're welcome to come. I'm giving you a personal invitation to show up. We'd love we love to have you. Christianity arises and it falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just, I've said that many times. It's a stone-cold true statement. If, if the resurrection is true, then Christianity, all of it's true. And if the resurrection is false, everything about Christianity is false. Now, here's the thing. People saw Jesus as a human being walk the face of this earth. There's no question. People saw him die on the cross. He he was crucified. There's no question. People saw him buried. They they, they put him in a tomb. People were involved in doing that. And a couple days later, on the third day of his death, of his death time, when they went to the tomb, it was empty. I mean, and, and no one disputes, there's an empty tomb. No, one, no one's ever produced the body of Jesus. It's, it's empty. The problem is no one saw Jesus come back to life. No one was there at the point of the resurrection. But what we have are people who were eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus and interacted with the resurrected Jesus. And they interacted with what we call, the person we call the authentic Jesus. And we're in a series entitled The Authentic Jesus. And so far we have seen who is this? The, the Pharisees of Jesus said, Who is this guy? Who do you think he is? Then last week we came with Luke and saw one of many. And people say, Well, there's 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 lots of accounts out there all over the place of Jesus' life. Why, why the gospels, why Luke, why what it's just one of many, and we we talked about that. We also need to realize that when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, that people deny it. And, and I can understand that. And one of the things that they claim, one of the things that they say is that the resurrection was just a myth created by the church. And so we come today to look at the myth of the resurrection, what people claim to be a myth. We're going to come in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Before we get to that passage, I want to begin by asking you this simple question. This is what I want you to think about throughout the message. And it's simply this, is the resurrection of Jesus authentic? Is it real? Is the resurrection, because everything, everything boils down to the resurrection. So is the resurrection of Jesus Christ real? Is it authentic? And so as we begin, let just remind you of this, that the resurrection is a big deal. I mean, it really, it really is a big, big deal. It's at the heart of what we believe, the heart of who we are. In fact, understand this, Jesus even told people, that he would be raised back to life. He, he predicted his death and he predicted the resurrection. I know, I know it's popular for people to say today, well, Jesus never predicted that. I've heard even Christians say, and so-called Christian leaders or pastors or whatever say, you know, Jesus never predicted his death and resurrection. And I'm always like, what version of the, the New Testament do you read? Because it's in the Gospels. I mean, so, so clear was Jesus that he was going to come back to life, that the guys that put him to death knew he said that. In Matthew 28, the religious leaders, having had Jesus crucified by the Romans, went back to the Romans and said, put some Roman soldiers in front of the tomb because when this guy was alive, he said he's going to come back from the dead and we don't want his disciples still in the body. I mean, they believed that Jesus said he's coming back to life. But if you're going to attack Christianity, it makes sense you attack it at the resurrection. And it's always been that way. But for the last about 150 years, give or take, it's been all out of salt on the resurrection. And, and there's different things that people say. And basically, there's three lines of thinking, and it comes down to this. Some just say it never happened. Some will say it doesn't have to be a real or historical to have many in their lives. In other words, it could just be symbolic. Some say the church just added it later. And what's frustrating is when people within the world of Christianity, when people who are at churches, when pastors or teachers of the Bible or seminaries start to believe this. In fact, there are churches, there are entire denominations that once were strong in their understanding of the resurrection of Christ and the cross who now teach these types of things. And to deny the resurrection of Jesus is to deny Christianity. Paul is probably the most influential person who has ever lived outside of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the most influential. And and to understand the importance of Paul, Paul was this brilliant Jewish scholar, came to Christ. Now, our culture, Western civilization, which dominates the world in terms of a dominant culture, is fundamentally attached to Christianity. It's a huge part of it. I mean, it's it's just a known fact. The values of the Christian faith just poured out into Western civilization. The the Western culture, as we know it, came from Europe, came from the time of the Renaissance, and it came from the time of the Reformation, which were both linked to the faith, especially the Reformation. The guys who led it, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox and those guys, they were all heavily, heavily influenced by Paul. Paul is this guy. He is a known historical figure. I mean, no no one questions or doubts. There was this guy named Paul who was a Christian who influenced Christianity. And people know that Paul wrote books. In fact, we have in the New Testament 13 letters Paul wrote. Now, as as a Baptist, as a conservative, I know and believe he wrote all those 13. And I know there's evidence for it. Some people might dispute some of them. But everybody knows this. Everybody believes Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. All right? I mean, no one disputes it. No one with any intelligent credibility would dispute Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And he wrote it in the middle of the first century. And in a letter written by an authentic guy a real life letter in the middle of the first century about the Christian faith, he talks about the resurrection. Now, if you come on Wednesday nights to grow, we're in 1 Corinthians, and I've, you know, we just kind of started, we're like five chapters in, and I've explained a lot of stuff there, and I'm not going to go over all that, simply to say that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in the middle of the 50s, about 55, 56, and he wrote it from Ephesus, and he wrote it to a church that he had started on his second journey, his first one in Europe, and now he's on his third journey, his second in Europe, and he, and he wrote to a troubled church. And part of the trouble of the church was doctrinal. Some had taught and denied that Christians, after they died, would be resurrected. They didn't deny out and out the resurrection of Jesus. But they said Christians wouldn't come back to life because we're human. And so Paul took a great issue with that because the next step is to deny all the resurrection, including the resurrection of Jesus. And so, so Paul says, if, if, if we're not raised back to life, how can you say Jesus is? In fact, in, that, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, this is what Paul says. Now, if Christ is preached and he's been raised from the dead, and he is, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? How do people say? There's no resurrection of that. And the reason people today deny the resurrection of Jesus is because they say dead people can't come back to life. They deny resurrection. So Paul sets all this up in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, the very, this, this, whenever I come to these, what I'm fixing to come to in just a minute, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1 and following, the very first message I ever preached with Sunday's passage. It was the summer of 1978. I was three years old. I was a prodigy. I was 17. I was a kid. I was, I was still young. It's like a, my mind of a three year old. And I was at Converse Baptist Church right Outside Converse. It was Sunday night. Debbie was there. And I preached the forgotten reality of the gospel. And uh, it was 17 minutes long. Don't you wish I only preached 17 minutes? <laughs> I'm like eight minutes into this thing now. I mean, I was halfway through that last time. I haven't even started hardly yet. Man, I could go another hour easily. I won't, but I could. And I, and I actually have that original document, that, that what I wrote it on. I got it somewhere. And I told Debbie, when I die, I want you to give that to the Smithsonian so they can have an example of really bad preaching. Because if it was bad, it was really bad. And uh, Paul writes this and says this in 1 Corinthians 15:1. Now I make known to you, brethren, and it includes women, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you stand. The gospel I preach. The word gospel, in the Greek word evangelion, we get our term evangel from it. The word preached to you is a beautiful word evangelism, evangelism. So the, the noun and the verb come from the same word. Evangelion, evangelism. Paul is saying, I gospeled the gospel or I proclaimed the gospel to you. And oftentimes, you may have a version that says "good news." Gospels often translated "good news" because it is good news. Um, in that day and age, uh, in, in whatever culture, in the Greek language, and over over time, um, if if a child was born to someone prominent, or to anybody really, you would say, "I have good news. A child has been born." Or maybe uh, there was a victory in war. And they would come back, a herald, someone would go and say, We have good news, we have one. So the good news, though, in the New Testament is always attached to Jesus. He is the good news, he's the gospel. And, and the message of the gospel and the gospel and Jesus are, are all together. To, to mention one is to mention the other. So we just, basically, it's the same thing. He said, I've made it known to you, I proclaimed it to you, I taught it to you. He says, You have received it, you, you, you took it in, you stand in it. Okay? In verse 2, he says this By which you are saved. If you hold fast the word, I to you, unless you believe in vain. He said, you've been saved. The word saved means to be rescued. It's to be rescued from imminent danger. I, I like to use the illustration of someone who has been wrecked at sea. You know, you're shipwrecked. And, and you're holding on to something, a plank or something. You're just holding on. You can't save yourself. Someone's going to have to save you. Because in time, you're going to get hypothermia. Or you're just going to get worn out and let go and drown. Or sadly, someone may come and eat you. So you have to be saved. You can't save yourself, and that's what it means to be saved. They didn't save. You, you've been saved. It's something that happened to you, but it's permanent. It's a permanent salvation. He said, if you hold fast, the word I preached, the message, that gospel, if you hold fast to it, unless you believe in vain. Now, this is not a condition of salvation or that you can lose it. He's not saying you're saved, but if you let go of it, you won't be. He's given, really, the example. He said, here's the evidence. If you hold fast to what you've been taught, then obviously you're saved. In other words, saved people keep on believing the things that saved them. If we're saved by the gospel of Jesus, we keep on believing the gospel. We don't all of a sudden stop believing it. If you don't believe the gospel, then whatever you claim before, if you deny the resurrection, your your proclamation, your belief, whatever you said you had is vain. It's empty. It's useless. It's meaningless. It's not real. He says you're saved by the gospel. You hold on to it. And then in verse 3, 4, and 5, he's going to talk about what is the gospel. And so verse 3 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He said, I delivered, I gave over, I handed over to you what is of first importance, what is more important than anything else. How many times do we talk about the most important thing that we do is share Jesus? That our church exists to honor God and get people to Jesus. You know why? Because that's what Paul told us to do. Of first importance, what I received, He said Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now both here and in dealing with the resurrection, he's going to say according to the Scriptures. He's talking about what we call the Old Testament. To him, it was just the Scriptures. It's not the New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. He's writing the New Testament. Paul's talking about the Old Testament. He says the Old Testament looks forward both to the death and, he'll say, the resurrection. And maybe he has something specific in mind here. He could have Isaiah 53. But most likely he's just saying in general there's a pointing to it. Now some dispute this. And say that the Old Testament scriptures do not point to Jesus. All I know is this: if the most brilliant man, most brilliant Christian who's ever lived, to influence and shape the world, says the scriptures point to the cross of Christ, and you say they don't, I'm going with Paul, because my bet is he's smarter than you, because you don't have 13 books in anything, much less the New Testament. You don't even. Know. The only one that I know of has any book is me. I have one out there at the cafe. You want it for 13.95. But other than that. It's, 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 it's just that i just had to throw that in but, but but paul he said that christ died for our sins he died he didn't just die he died for our sins and that term for our sins is huge it talks about a substitutionary death Whenever we take the Lord's Supper, I say Paul died in our place on our behalf. He is our sacrifice. He is our substitute. The substitutionary death of Jesus is critical. He died and took your place. He took your sins and paid for your sins. You should pay for it. You can't pay for it. No one has ever been able to come to God and pay for their own sins. But Jesus paid for yours. People who deny the substitutionary death of Jesus, and this is crazy that even within Christianity, people deny it. If you deny the substitutionary death of Jesus, no one paid for your sins. Your sins haven't been accounted for. Paul in Romans 3 makes it clear of the danger of sin. You can't pay the price to satisfy and come to God. But Jesus did. He was our substitute, In our sacrifice, he died for our sins according to the plan of God. Always the plan of God in scriptures. In the old and certainly the new. Verse 4 then says this. And he was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. They buried Jesus. People saw him. And then he came back to life. And there's an empty tomb. And everybody knows there's an empty tomb. In the New Testament, they all knew there's an empty tomb. No one went back and said, hey... You're saying Jesus rose back to life? He's right here. Here's his body. There is no body. But here's the thing. The empty tomb doesn't prove that Jesus was alive. I know we like to sing the song, Because He lived. An empty tomb is there. An empty grave is there to show my Savior lives. No, it doesn't. It just shows there's an empty grave. If you want to know that Jesus lives, you got to see Jesus alive. Someone needs to see him alive verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and to the 12, the other apostles. Paul says what with all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk about Jesus appearing. Mark says the least, but they all say something. And on that day he died, he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to the 12. Now the 12 means, that's just the term used for all the, the guys. Judas is obviously gone. There's not 12, there's 11. And when he first appeared Thomas wasn't there, but, but he appeared to Peter. And he appeared to those guys, those believers. And, and, and Paul's driving this home. And here's the important thing. Peter, remember, last week we talked about Luke. And I shared with you that for decades and decades, people tried to demonstrate that Luke didn't know what he was talking about, that he made mistakes in his two books, Luke and, and Book of Acts. And then Sir William Ramsey in the late 18th and early, excuse me, late 19th, early 20th century, was just a great archaeologist, demonstrated that Luke was absolutely credible. And so Luke is considered one of the great historians of all time. In that first century, there were a handful of historians that people talk about. Josephus, Suetonius, Tacitus, they were, they were pagan. Josephus was a Jew, but the rest of them were non-believers. None of them were believers. And Luke is considered preeminent among all of them. Luke, Luke, Luke says in the book of Acts that on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose back to life, Peter preached, you crucified him. God raised him from the dead that was his message. He preached it over and over. You crucified him. God raised him. You killed him. God brought him back to life. Why? Why would he say that? Paul reminds us he saw him alive. But you may say, but Peter was one of the original 12. Of course he's going to say brought him back to life. God brought him back to life. He was one of the ones that they were worried about stealing the body of Jesus. Paul says, okay. Goes to verse 6. And after he appeared then, more than 500 brethren, including women at one time, most of whom remained until now, though none of some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to 500 people. Now, the Gospels don't tell us of this specific story. Jesus probably made multiple appearances we don't know about. In fact, we know he did from the verses following. Probably, though, this appearance is the one in Galilee mentioned in Matthew 28. At Pentecost, there was only 120 believers in Jerusalem. When Jesus died and was put to death, anybody that was a follower of Jesus... Would have scattered and all from Galilee would have probably gone back. Galilee was his home area, so there were probably several hundred. So there were 500. Paul's saying this 500 people saw him at one time. You don't believe he's back to life? Go ask any of them. Most are still alive. Go ask them. I dare you. I give you names, got addresses, phone numbers, email, <laughs> Facebook account, Instagram, TikTok account. Oh, yeah, TikTok. I, I did an early service, and I realized most of those folks don't know what TikTok is. And I said, if you've got a pacemaker, don't get on TikTok. It'll just go. Poosh, <laughs> explode. He says, there they are. Go ask them. But you can say, well, that's okay. They're all believers to begin with. Of course they're going to say he did it. He said, okay. Let me give you two more examples. Verse 7. Here's what he says. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Now, this James is not James, the brother of John, the cousin of Jesus, the apostle who by the time Paul wrote this was dead. This is the brother of Jesus who did not believe in Jesus. You get that, right? I mean, if you you had a brother, you know, a sibling, he said, you know, I'm the son of God, I'm the daughter of God, I'm this pastor who does miracles and all that, you're not going to believe them. There's no way. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' brothers, his family, thought he was mad, thought he was crazy. Come to Acts chapter 1, verse 14. When all the believers in the upper room, it says so is his family, his brothers. He had James, he had Jude. We saw we preached through the book of Jude back in, in, in uh, uh, early in the summer. He had uh, Simon, and he had uh, the third, which I think is Joseph, Joseph. You always forget one. there's four brothers, you always forget one. I, you know, if you come from a, from a family of multiple kids, you know what it is to be the one that everybody forgets, and if they don't have one, they forget, it's you. So that's how it works. He appeared to all that's who the apostles, they were all ended up becoming apostles. He appeared to them. But but before the before the resurrection of Jesus, they didn't believe. After the resurrection, they, they did believe in. And James became the leader of the church of Jerusalem. Acts 15. That guy, that's the brother of Jesus, the guy who said, Don't make it hard for people who were Gentiles to come to faith. Acts 15, 19, don't make it difficult. For the Gentiles to believe. That brother of Jesus didn't believe in Jesus after the resurrection. But if you say it's there, he was still, he was family. Eventually he's going to believe. Okay, there's one more. Verse 8. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The word untimely born speaks of a miscarriage at birth. He said, he appeared to me. The idea of a miscarriage is a lot of different discussions what it means, but in verse 9, probably clarifies that because verse 9, here's what it says. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He said, I was a miscarriage conversion. I was really basically an aborted person of faith, is what it means, because I didn't believe. I'm the least, not in the fact that I'm the last in order, or that I'm the least important, but if anyone is not worthy to be an apostle, it's me, because I made up my life's ambition to destroy the Christian faith. What turned Paul around? An empty tomb? No. Paul thought that they stole the body of Jesus. He's a Pharisee. He didn't buy that. What would have changed Paul? Peter's preaching. Paul didn't have any respect for Peter. He was a backwoods-hick fisherman from Galilee. Paul was brilliant. Paul, what changed Paul? He saw the resurrected Jesus. Paul says a whole bunch of people saw Jesus, but let me mention three. Peter, who led the early church and preached the cross of Christ. James, who did not believe his brother was saved, or was the Savior in me. Do you realize two of those guys weren't followers of Jesus before the cross? It wasn't until after. All three of those guys, by the way, would die for Christ. It doesn't mention that in the New Testament. And it's not just early church fathers, but those historians, Josephus, Suetonius, Tacitus, and some combination mentioned them. Peter, crucified during the time of Nero. James was killed in 62 by the Jews during a time when there was no Roman authority. There was a little bit of gap between transition. They threw him from the pinnacle of the temple to smash him down below. So abhorrent was what he did that even the Jews who weren't Christians were appalled at what the relative, the descendant of Ananias did. He was the descendant of Ananias. And Paul was beheaded. These three guys, why would they die? They didn't get rich. They, they, they were well-known, but not in a good way. Everybody wanted to kill them. What did they get out of all this? Nothing on this earth. But they all say, we saw him alive. And here's the thing. They give proof, but no one has ever disproved the resurrection of Jesus. No one. I hear it all the time. Well, you know, Jesus Jesus didn't really rise up from the dead. That's been proven. I want to say, how's it been proven? Well, so-and-so said, yeah, but where's the evidence? But I read somewhere, about where's the evidence? There's an empty tomb. No one ever found the body. Well, they saw the body. They saw the body walking around. They saw him alive. Don't you think, let me, let me just give you a hint. If there was real evidence that Jesus wasn't resurrected, we would know it. It would be everywhere. And don't think they haven't tried. They've been trying for 2,000 years to find his body. They've gone all over. They've dug up every grave in Jerusalem trying to find his body. Isn't there? Understand this. From the beginning of the Christian movement, the resurrection of Jesus was proclaimed and believed. It was the reason people trusted and followed Jesus. And it was the reason many died for him. No one would have followed Jesus, much less died for him, if not for the resurrection of Christ. That was the message from the beginning. It wasn't made up. That no one ever says it's symbolic. And it was no myth. It was real. So, it brings me back to the question that I asked at the beginning. Is the resurrection of Jesus authentic? I know it can be hard to believe. I get that. Lots of things are hard to believe, still true. I know within all religions, there are things that are difficult to grasp. You say, oh, there's no way that happens. You know, I, I know. I, I do that. In, in Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, they, they believe in reincarnation. I say, that's preposterous, ridiculous, absurd. It's impossible. It's never happened. It could happen. Here's the thing. They've never demonstrated a single person that's been reincarnated. Deja vu don't count. I remember things that never happened to me all the time. My wife tells me, that never happened. You weren't that good. You weren't that good looking. And you weren't that smart. And I said, so "What did I say about you? You married me, right?" <laughs> now I'm not telling that in the next service because she's here. I'm going to completely change that all around. But, but yeah, I have, yeah, I, 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 remember, I remember things that happened to other people. and I thought they happened to me. <laughs> you ever do that? Of course you do. We all do that because you know my mind. I mean, in Islam, stuff that they claim happened to Muhammad, nah, it's never been proven either it happened. But here's the thing about Jesus. There's some guys. He wrote the New Testament, made claims about him. Not one of them was Luke. We saw that last week. The most, one of the most trusted historians that have ever lived, the most trusted historian to many of that time, talks about a resurrection. Paul, who's a real historical figure that shaped the world. And everybody knows that. That wrote a letter that everybody knows he wrote says a whole bunch of people saw Jesus. So let me ask you this question. How do you respond to all those people who saw Jesus? How, how, how do you respond to that? And I know people reject it, and I get that. And I know people say, well, it's too hard to believe. I understand that. I deal with people like that all the time. And then they go through all the difficulties and all the things that happen in the church, and I get all that. I get all that. Here's the thing you got to remember there was a man who hated Jesus more than anyone has ever hated Jesus, he made it. His life's purpose and ambition to destroy everything to do with Jesus. And then one day, all that changed. He made it his life's ambition and purpose to proclaim the resurrected Jesus to anyone and everyone he met. He was put in prison. He was beaten, he was tortured, and he was killed. And he never made a dime doing it. He did it. Because one day, on the road to kill Christians, he met the resurrected Jesus. And there was nothing short of the resurrected Jesus that would ever change Paul's mind. One day, in the middle of the 5th century, I mean, in the middle of that decade of the 50s, I should say, the 1st century, he was sitting in Ephesus. And he wrote a letter to a church he started at Corinth. And he said, a whole bunch of people saw Jesus alive. And no one has ever proven him wrong. In fact, Everything we know proves him correct. That there is a Jesus who rose from the dead. The authentic Jesus. And here's the thing. The authentic Jesus will change your life if you will trust him with it. Just like he changed the life of Paul. So what do you do with Jesus? You can reject him. You can do that. You can deny him. Or you can trust him. And I know it may be hard. I get it. And I know there may be things that you don't fully understand. I got gotcha. you. And you may have trouble believing certain things that are in the Bible. Okay. That's not what we're discussing. We're discussing the undisputed reality of a Jesus Christ who died for you and rose back to life. And who will save you. And that's really all that matters. That is of the foremost importance. So will you trust him with your life? Will you confess your sinfulness and admit that you are that sinner he died for and let his substitution for you have an impact on your life and trust him to save you for now and forever? I invite you to give your life to him at this very moment. In just a moment, some of us will be standing here and if you've never trusted Christ and you would like to do that, because you, maybe you're hesitant to come forward, I get it, but if you want to come forward and talk to someone, we'll be here to talk to you. Ladies, there'll be another lady here to talk with you if you want. We invite you to come, give your life to Jesus. If you want to pray for yourself or someone, we'll pray with you. If you want to come and join our church, you join our church, you can do that. Whatever it is you need to do, we want to give you that chance to do it. But here's the thing. Be sure when you leave this place today, you have trusted your life to the one and only, authentic Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you for Jesus. You did not have to send him, but in your unbelievable love, you did. In his unbelievable love, he came and he died in our place. Died on our behalf. Took our sins. Made him his. And then, When he was dead and buried and all gone, you brought him back to life. And we know this because a whole bunch of people saw him, including a man who hated him. So God, let us trust, not just them, but let us trust you, that you provided the way for us to be saved. And if we will commit our life to Christ and turn our life to him, And turn away from the sinfulness of our rebellion against you. You will forever save us. And I pray that that happens today. In the name of Christ, who is our Lord. Now and forevermore. Amen. And amen. Would you stand? We'll be here.